Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn, and this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I am super honored and excited today to have my guest, Christina Castaneda, with me. Hi, Christina. Hi, Dawn. Thank you for having me. <laughs> she is a rock star, superwoman, super mom. And she is a writer, influencer, and host of the Savvy Creative Podcast and creator of the Be Brilliant Journal and Planner, which I think is an amazing idea, by the way. Helping creative minds get stuff done brilliantly with a positive mindset and fearless leadership. Her latest program, The Changemakers Collective, is a mentorship exclusive to women to help boost creativity and build positive teams. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yay! So first I have to ask you, how's it feel in the last few days to, to be by yourself? Oh, it's so bizarre. You know, it's so, uh, it's like when I first left my job, that shift was so big and it took a few days to really sink in. Uh -huh. And then it took a lot of uh, discipline that I had to rebuild again because I had to like, there wasn't anyone to feed. There wasn't anyone to tell me good morning. And my son plays the violin for like two hours a day and it's not playing anymore. It's even my neighbors were like, God, it's so quiet. <laughs> because they're like getting used violin. to the silence, huh? Yeah. And it's really weird because when I first uh, left my job to run the business and everything and um, do it full time, I had to like break out of the house. I had to find people. I had to establish a routine and it had that routine had the kids involved so much in it. Like I still went for school pickup. I still made dinner. I did all these things. And now I'm not doing that anymore. And I'm like, wait, I don't have to wake up at a certain time anymore. And you know, I don't have to make dinner or prepare lunches anymore. What am I doing? And like, there's so much space that I don't want to overfill the space and get busy, busy, busy again. Like I right. want to do something that is really going to lead me forward to doing what I want. And especially when it comes to writing and podcasting and even romance. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking how is the best way I could, I could do this. And it's hard because, you know, it makes me sad that the house is so quiet. Mm -hmm. um, it makes me sad not to have to buy his favorite groceries in the store anymore. Uh -huh. And my daughter still lives with me. It's not like I completely alone. My 19-year-old daughter who goes to school in Hollywood, she still lives with me. She works a retail job and she goes to her classes. But it's kind of like having a roommate because she's hardly ever home. And she's, you know, she's grown a little bit. Uh -huh. And she's really independent, which I'm so proud of. I'm proud to have such an independent daughter. Um, but it's so bizarre, you know. And I just thought, man, it's just me and the dogs. And this sucks. Like, I need to go. <laughs> I need to do stuff. So, yeah, and I, that's just the thing. I don't want to be busy, busy, busy. I want to right. be happy. I want to be thriving. I want to be, you know, doing things that are fun and enjoyable with building good relationships and, and on to the next phase of life, really. Yeah, it's the next chapter. Yeah. Says the writer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, I, I think it's really great, you know, from what I know about you, because we don't know each other that well, but um, from what I've seen, you have been able to keep the sense of yourself in addition to trying to manage your kids by yourself, which is a huge 
job. And I commend you so much um, because I know that you had a bad relationship that you broke away from. And how did you, how did you figure out how to take care of these kids by yourself? Basically, like you had to be the mom and the dad in your household. Well, it was, it was really hard. There was just no other way around it. Like I didn't even have my family. I haven't seen my family for 10 years, you know, mm. like I haven't even, I don't even have my parents around to help me. And, um, but it was a gift actually, because I made the decisions on my own for what school they were going to go to, what healthcare plan, um, if they were special needs, how was I going to help them, help them with that. Mm-hmm. And um, I made it an adventure. <laughs> Like, it was just like, come on, kids, let's go for a day trip, or let's go to the beach and have a picnic. Like, I always try to make things an adventure for them, because I knew that they weren't going to have a father. And that was, that was always going to be different. Like, it was always weird, too, um, when kids would ask why they didn't have a father, where their father was. I didn't know what else to tell them other than, you know, hey, he fought in the war in Iraq, and we left Texas, and we haven't seen him again. And um, I, I just knew... I think when I left that relationship, I I had hoped that I would get remarried. I came close to um, being in a, another relationship and having that in 2005, but it didn't work out. And I was uh-huh. so heartbroken and I was just so devastated. And my kids were devastated by that too, because they liked him. Uh-huh. And I just thought, I don't want to put them through that again. I'd rather be on my own. And I, you know, I, I think I can make it. And every relationship after after that was just not promising enough to bring my kids to to bring him into my kids' lives. So I just kept going forward. And plus, um, around 2010, uh, the recession, practically the whole recession until about 2013, 2014, was so rough on us. Mm-hmm. Like we lost everything. We lost everything. I lost our home. We lost the car. I mean, we had to live in shelters in LA. And with going through this with two kids and having to not know where you're going to sleep at night. And I, I, can, I can't imagine how scary that must have been at times. Yeah. And it, it, it was. And there were many times where I was like sitting outside crying, like crying. on a curve, just losing it. And um, I just knew it wasn't fair to bring someone into that mess. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to like I had to dig our way out of it. Mm-hmm. And it was hard, you know, we, there, we didn't know what we had to eat. But the beautiful thing about all of that was um, friends came through for us. Mm. Like they offered their place for us. One of my friends, she's like, oh, yeah, I have a um, I, I'm going away to my summer home. Why don't you stay at my place? I was like, oh, my God, thank you. Mm. <laughs> you know? wow. Like, So we're staying in this beautiful, like three bedroom house. <laughs> you know, we had to drive away to get there, but it didn't matter. It was like, okay, well, we'll, we'll figure it out. But we had so many friends like step up and really help us. And it was just so unexpected. I thought I was going to be alone, but I wasn't. And um, cause I had spent a lot of time building relationships and building a village and not, be- and I think a lot of that came out of me not having a family, you know, yeah. um, because you didn't have, I didn't have parents and a lot of other people that I knew that were part of my village. They were, um, they, they, either weren't from LA, which a lot of people aren't from LA. Right. <laughs> they were they were from overseas or places where they weren't near their parents either. So they needed we needed each other. And because we had each other, like we came through for each other. And it it, it was reciprocal. Like I always helped them out with their kids. I helped them out with anything I could as well. And like, it's they, like it was like an expat community in the US. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's funny. We weren't, we weren't technically expats, but I think. No, no, I know. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, but I think, I think that's the way it, it happens though. It's, it's really people save people. It's really people helping each other at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what it was for me. And that was a good lesson for me to always be kind to people. And that was something I, I wanted to tell my kids, like, you know, the way you help people and the way you, um, the way, you know, what you do for them every day and how you treat people, guess what? It comes back in times of need. And, and it, I mean, it, I just, I couldn't express how much gratitude for them. And these people are still in my life. We're still good friends and we still help each other. So yeah, yeah. I, I remember when my kids were little, I, I joined a mom's group at my church in Austin and, and all of the moms, you know, would help when we were, you know, when we were having babies, it was like people were bringing over meals and can I pick up your kids for a play date so you could actually take a nap. And it was just like, yes, you have to create your own sort of tribe and village to help because you can't do it on your own. I mean, you, you have done, you have experienced what it is to do a lot of things on your own. But gosh, it's really nice when you get help and support. Yeah, I um, and that thing about bringing the the new mom or the new baby, like uh -huh. when the new babies in the family bringing the meals, we did that all the time. Yeah, <laughs> everybody, every time there was a baby, we all had a weeknight. We all brought um, a dish over, and then we would take like laundry or just you know watch the kids. We all did those things, and it was so so nice. I loved it um, because it was like. Uh, you know, I was being a, I was a young teen mom. Right. And I thought nobody would care. Like, you know, just when you're a young teen mom, people assume that you don't know what you're doing. Uh -huh. But when your friends, as you get older and your kids are older and then your friends start having baby babies, they rush to you and they're like, what do I do? What is this rash? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's fine. Just do this. You know? And I was like, oh wow. Like I'm helpful to them now. Like I'm not just like a, a you know, kid who committed a bad sin because I, you know, growing up in Texas and I went to an evangelical school. Oh my God, being a teen mom did not go over well. Yeah, so, probably not. Yeah. So, um, you know, I thought I should have been ashamed for being such a young mom, but I was like, oh no, I can help them. And I can help them because I've been through this with two kids and I know what, you know, thrush mouth is or, you know, breastfeeding, all the other stuff that, yeah. they, did, that they were freaking out about. I was right. like, no girl, I got you. Right. I'm like, don't worry. It's right. going to be okay. Your baby's going to be okay. Right. You know, yeah. and it's, it's really interesting because while I was, um, you know, watching things about you, you know, trying to find out more information about you, I thought to myself, how, how, who was your example of a strong woman? And then I saw something else that you said your mom wasn't around for you. And I was like, how did you do this, Christina? Like, that's why I think that you're such an amazing, powerful woman, strong woman. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I didn't have women leaders. In fact, my women leaders were, I, I think I've maybe only had one or two managers that were good. And I didn't really have a strong female role model. Uh -huh. um, and the ones that I tried to build relationships with, they broke my heart, like just broke mm. my heart. And uh, like I said, my mother hasn't been in my life. And my mother was a, my mother's a hoarder. Like what you see on A&E, that show where mm -hmm. it's like Florida ceiling mm -hmm. uh, mess, that's my mom. And so she obviously had a lot of psychological problems that she was dealing with. 
So she didn't really have the space or the love or the attention for me. And now I get it, but growing up, I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I have like the women in my family, my mom's sisters, like they, they all just were very mean spirited people. And I pulled away from them. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, when I didn't have those strong female mentors and I started seeing like, even in the workplace that women were, uh, labeled as queen bees or boss bitches, or if you work for a, a female boss, she was a complete bitch. Mm-hmm. And I just said, it doesn't have to be this way. And yeah. I went through this whole, horrible, horrible experience earlier this year. It was in December. And uh, I had this one female who took a management role that she should not have been in. And she was a horrible bully. My, my team leaders were coming to me crying. People were just like, you know, there was a high turnover and everybody was at war with each other. It was the most awful situation I'd ever seen. And I just said, all right, enough is enough. Let's stop this. This is not going to happen. And I pretty much put my head on the choppy block and I said, look, if this doesn't happen, we all leave. That's it. We're, wow. we're stopping this. And sure enough, we were okay. We, we got listened to, but I was so tired of this happening. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take on this leadership and I'm going to try to be the leader that I wish I had. And I'm going to try to be someone that that's not a queen bee. That's not this female bully. And um, that's not any of these things because I'm tired of it happening so much. Mm-hmm. And I'm tired of people, of women being labeled like that when they're really, when they're really not, you know, it, I think it's just, uh, maybe I was just in the wrong field. Maybe I was just in the wrong workplace, but you know, I think there's a way to build effective teams mm-hmm. without all this drama. And I think like we would have people in happier relationships. We would have people develop like, develop other women leaders uh so much better if we just like stopped fighting with each other and that was a big goal for me and that's what i wanted to do with the change makers collective i wanted to or the change makers mentorship i wanted to have um a space where women could if they're you know because leading a team is so hard it's like writing the more you try to think you know what you're doing it's like <laughs> the more you realize you're clueless <laughs> Exactly. It's like the hard, it's one of those things that's just like, the more you do it, the harder it gets. And you, you think you've met every type of personality out there and no, uh-uh. there's always just someone that you're like, oh my God, is this a complete narcissist or is she just misunderstood or uh-huh. he, you know, it's men too. And I'm just like, what is going on? And that's why I just said, okay, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to talk about building relationships. I'm going to talk about, you know, understanding people. I'm going to talk about how to deal, how to take down a bully because there are times when it's like, okay, you could build a relationship and there's times where like, all right, it's time to, it's time to take this person down and take them out of the team. And um, like those things will have to happen. And I've had to do that, not just with London Real, but in other situations. And, you know, I, it's harder than it seems, but if you want your team to really flourish and do well, you have to make those difficult decisions. And I think people procrastinate on those difficult decisions. They procrastinate on those difficult conversations. And, um, you know, I, I want to help women understand that and just build really, really powerful women leaders. Because like I said, I didn't have that. And this one mentor I had, she helped open the door for me in the fitness industry. She was the person who got me into content marketing. And I fell in love with like the blogging and the writing and the, you know, it was like running my own magazine, uh-huh. but she loved all the other girls. And I was like the ugly or the redheaded stepchild, you know, like uh-huh. she would invite them to happy hour, but I, cause I was in a different department technically. Um, 
so like they would get all invited but not me and I was like okay I get it I'm the only one with kids and you know I I'm probably uh, you know I was just I would just I would just try to have a good attitude about it yeah but, but you still like the invitation regardless of whether or not you have kids it's like oh you want to feel included yeah, well, I was working so hard for her and I, you know, she was an expert. I thought she was an expert. It turned out later on she was a fraud, but anyway, oh. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, she, um, when it came time to leave that job for Beachbody, I needed a recommendation and she would not answer me. She would not wow. answer me. And she re- recommended another coworker that used to come in drunk all the time that I actually had to help this drunk coworker on like a business trip. We had to like pretty much calm her down because she would be yelling and like she she recommended her gave her a glowing recommendation but didn't even respond to me wow and even when I started running my business I kept reaching out to her and nothing zero nothing back and I just thought okay well I'm just gonna have to cut my losses here I shouldn't why and then I I was like why do I need her approval so much anyway like I would like it and I think it was also because I was clingy because I like said didn't have a strong female character in my life or female yeah. role model. Role model. Mm-hmm. And I thought she was it. She just had this like fabulous life, lived in Orange County, always was dressed up really well, um, said that she had her own business, very, you know, strong consultants for the company that I was working for. But then I turned out later on, I actually ended up cleaning up some of her mess from mm. the consulting that she did. And I was like, wait a second. It was all, it was all face value. Nothing, it, in, nothing internal. It was, it was. And it, it really hurt me that she didn't support me. But then I realized this is kind of the way it is in business. And sometimes when you're um, the people that you want to invest in you, like whether you want like a literal investor or you want um, just someone to mentor you, if they don't look like you or if they're not like similar to you, it's kind of hard to get on their radar. And I've, I've kind of learned this and I'm like, well, I'm going to have to adapt and see how else I can build relationships to where people will want to partner and I would want to partner with them. So it really gave me an understanding of people in general. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful for the whole experience. You know, I wish her well and, you know, I hope she doesn't mess up another consulting gig. <laughs> so it was a lot right. of, it was a big mess. Um, but I shined later on from it too, because I figured out what needed to be fixed, like all those things. Um, but yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking. And I just realized like, you know, sometimes you want people in your life to be there for you. And it's like, sometimes they just can't like, no matter how much you want to force them to be in your life, you you just can't. Yes. And it, you have to be okay with someone not saying, Hey, great job. Or, Hey, you know, I'm there for you or or supporting you. For me, not having anyone turned out to be a great gift because I have like all these crazy ideas and nobody talked me out of them. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and I'm just like, ooh, I think I'll try that. And then later on, they're like, why, why did you do that? That sounds really stupid. I'm like, I wanted to, damn it. Nobody talked me out of it. Yeah. Um, well, you know? I, I think it's, I, and I think too, especially for women, it's like we, ha- we have to be this strong leader. And yet we have to show this soft, you know, compassion side. And we're labeled we can be labeled good and bad in each aspect, you know? And so oh, yeah. it's, it's really like, this is a part of the work that I do is really trying to help people find the balance 
depending on what, um, you know, what circumstance they're dealing with. It's like, really, when do, when do I have to be a leader? When do I have to take initiative? When do I have to, you know, be fully in, empowered and in my strength? And when do I have to be soft and, uh, and compassionate and nurturing? And so it's like that ebb and flow between the two, you know, sort of the, the masculine and the, and the feminine. Yeah, and that's what's hard about it because I'm born, I'm built very strong and, um, you know, it's really hard to, to find that balance. But, the, mm -hmm. you know, I, I hate the words like they're too emotional. In oh, I can't stand that. Oh, my God. That's it's like, word. are you kidding me? That is my superpower. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, it's passion. I passionately disagree with yes. you, okay? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, because if a guy did that, no one would say, oh, stop being too emotional. No, they would just say you're passionate. Yeah. And yeah. I've told men that they're defensive. That <laughs> 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 didn't go over well. And, you know, it happens, it happens to me constantly, too. I try to be tough on. And, and this is the hard part, too. I like to I tell people I'm brutally honest and I'm direct uh -huh. because you're coming to me for feedback. Right. 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 Especially when it comes to stuff with the arts, writing, all those things or copy right. or, you know, I'm. I'm giving you notes and I really learned that you have to really find a balance of being direct because some people are ready for it and some people are not. And uh -huh. even though people say, yeah, I want criticism or yeah, give it to me. I can take it. Oh, those are usually no. the people that I can't. And I'm like, Oh Lord. Oh no, not now. And, um, you know, I've been called many names. names. Yeah. Oh yeah. Many names. I've been called. I'm a poor leader, all those things. And you know, those things are like, okay, let me see. Why are they saying this? Right. Um, maybe give me, give me the facts. Give me the facts. Tell me, you know, exactly what happened, not how you felt or you perceived what happened. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I also know it's um, being in a pivot, being, being in a role that's highly coveted. Uh -huh. um, people are willing to push you out. And that's another difficult um, thing that you're always dealing with. And I'm like, like okay, the jealousy and the competitiveness. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, don't you guys know that these kind of roles are, they're not what they seem. They're not glamorous. <laughs> like there's so much more work. That... Yeah. You're working your butt off and all they see is the pretty parts on the outside, right? Yeah, exactly. As if I get more recognition or anything, I'm like, no, I'm here because I love you guys. I'm here because I want to build strong teams and I believe in a mission. And then I'm here because I want to help women, uh -huh. you know? Um, so or, you know, they romanticize what you do, even as an entrepreneur, as a writer, um, or traveling and blogging. I'm like, you guys, there's different things that go on behind the scenes. There's a lot of things, podcast interviews that don't work out. There's, um, you know, there's stories that you seek them out and they're not there. It's just someone trying to pitch you something. And mm -hmm. then, you know, you have to make it work or you have to scrap it. Like you don't know everything that's happening behind the scenes and you don't know what's going into all this um, until you're really doing it. And that's, that's the thing. And I'm trying to have that staying power and trying to keep building these big things and building, you know, what I think is my empire. <laughs> and yeah, you know, you're constantly trying to fend off all these attacks. It's so, so difficult. Um, but honestly, when those things happen, and just like when it happened earlier this year, I had to check myself. And I, after I was called emotional, I said, okay, am I doing what's right for the whole team? Or am I playing hero? Am I doing this out of ego? Like I really had to stop and 
and tell myself. And usually when that happens, I go and I journal. My journal is like so sacred to me. That's why I created yeah. one. Like yeah. it's just so, it's been my only therapy through a rough childhood. And it's just a good practice for me as a writer. So I'm like, okay, let me think out my thoughts. And am I doing this for the right reason? And am I doing, is it, is it going to help me or the team? And uh, I have to always think about those things. Is it going to help me or the kid? Like, mm-hmm. am I, um, am I doing the right thing? And um, after just making so many reckless mistakes in the early years, I'm like, you know what? I, it's time for me to do the right thing because it's the right thing uh-huh. and not have this penance or this conscience weighing on me anymore, you know, uh-huh. and actually do things that are better for people. So, Well, and, and one thing that I know that, that you do that's better for you is dance. <laughs> Yes. And so, and so how does that therapy work for you? Dancing? Um, God, you want to talk about a heartbreak? Oh my goodness. I had the heart. I had the love. I had the passion for dance, but I did not have talent. I had zero talent. Oh, dance. come on. <laughs> I was never, I wanted to be a prima ballerina so bad, uh-huh. but I was never picked. I did. I was too curvy. I did not have the body. Mm-hmm. I, um, I wasn't, I got into dance, especially ballet, um, a little bit later than most girls. Like, so I got onto point later. So mm-hmm. it was really hard to compete with them that were in like dance from the, since they were like in a walker. And my mother, <laughs> my mother was actually a ballroom dancer. Uh-huh. And, um, so she wasn't a professional, but she, she performed. And so like, I'm kind of familiar with all these different types of dance. And like, I was always picked as like for a Broadway theater show or for hip hop, something that was a little sexier Uh than um, ballet because I just didn't have the look for ballet. Um, And that just, it just crushed me because I wanted it so bad. I worked so hard, you know, my toes would bleed through my pretty pink points. Oh yeah, I've been there, been there, done that. Yep. Calluses and just everything. It's just, I would go through that and you know, it was just failure after failure after failure. But the thing I danced, always taught me it taught me rejection it taught me teamwork because you got to be in sync with each other um you spend you got to change your clothes in front of each other I mean come on <laughs> in the dress, in, in between sets right? right um sometimes you have to lift each other and um you know even when you dance with a partner you have to trust and he has to catch you sometimes and um you know like I it taught me it taught me all these lessons hard work discipline and um you know, what it also taught me was something that was so important to raise my kids. And that was that, um, you know, I never told my kids that they were talented. I never mm. told them they were talented. I told them to work hard because if someone had told me that I was a talented dancer, um, or if I knew that I was a talented dancer, I would have not worked even as half as hard as I had to work to catch up to all the little girls. And, you know, I was, I'm a woman of color. I'm Latina and ballet was not for ballet. You know, there weren't a lot of, there was no Misty Copeland at that time. Right, and right. it was really hard to always be behind and not have as many things and privileges um, as the other girls. And it was, I struggled with that. And that made me so much more insecure. So now when I go to class, well, when I, okay, so when I was 18, I got a scholarship to go to school in New York for dance. And it wasn't Juilliard, but it was a school called Marymount Manhattan. Uh-huh. And, you know, it was in Manhattan still. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm cool. going to leave small town, Texas. And I had the full scholarship. 
wanted to know I got pregnant with my daughter. <gasps> oh, <laughs> wow. All of that had to go. My mother, when I told her I was pregnant, she just said, you know, you're never going to dance again. That's over for you right now. You're done. Uh -huh. And I believed her. I didn't take classes for a long time, but I always just danced around in my living room. Mm -hmm. And then I just found some studios and I started going again. And my feet remembered what to do. Like my feet remembered a pot de bourree and a crossball change and how to shift the weight and how to spin and how to, you know, do a double pirouette or a double PK. And I was like, Oh my God, I like your body, your, my body still knows. Yeah. yeah. And it, it made me so happy. And even the other girls in my dance class and then this dance studio I go to has a dance team. I was like, Oh my God, for adults. And I was like, Oh my God, I love it. How so, fun. Yeah. And it's for burlesque and for hip hop. It's not like it's for traditional ballet and jazz. Or, uh, I think they have tap and I've done tap before too, but it was just so much fun. And one of the instructors, he was, um, he was the co-owner of the studio and this was for the first show I did. And um, I'm in like fishnets and booty shorts and sequins right, and right. red lipstick. And, I, and he just goes up to me and he goes, how do you feel? And I just said, I feel like I'm 18 again. And he knew, uh, like he had seen that transformation in me. Yeah. Going to the dance studio for six months. I was like, oh my God. So once I started dancing again as an adult, I... Um, I started doing other things in my life. I was like, okay, now I felt so much better. I felt so good. I was like, you know what? I'm going to pick up that manuscript. I let go away. I'm going to leave the office early and I'm going to, you know, I have more energy to spend more time with my kids. I'm going to stand up for myself a little bit more. Like I was just so much more confident in myself mm -hmm. that I was taking on all new adventures. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to quit my job or I'm thinking about quitting my job. And then, you know, eventually I left my job. So all those things, all the dance just, I, I feel like it was going back to dancing and doing the one thing that, dancing and writing are the things that just make me happy. Yeah. I have to do them every day. Yeah. And just going and doing that and putting that energy and that love and that drive to like really just crush it. And this is like a few counts of eight, but you're just like, I'm going to crush the set. Um, and I'm going to push myself to do the double or the triple turns or I'm going to try to jump high, even though I feel like things crack sometimes. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> like the instructor's like, you can do this moderated version or you can try the axle turn. I was like, let me try the axle turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, plus, <laughs> plus I feel like when you dance, I don't know if other people experience this, but as a dancer, you are so in the present moment. Like that's yeah. one of the few times where you have to be completely present and and for me, I feel like when I'm dancing, that is the most free and myself that I feel. Yeah, because you can't do the steps. No. You can't do the steps. You can't concentrate. You can't. And that's the thing. That's why I think it helped me deal with so much stress, uh -huh. um, especially at that time when I went back to the studio. It was... Um, it was 2020. It was election day. I had the day off of work and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to try a class. Um, cause they let us take the day off. Um, uh -huh. it was 2016 and you know, that was a really negative time I think for the country. And, um, it just like, it just helped me deal with all of these things. It was a very negative time for the company I was working for. They were definitely suffering, um, with, the with their numbers and you could definitely see something bad was coming. So it just like, it took a lot of that off of me and then it gave me a lot more positivity, optimism. And I think it was because I was able to be, be present. And mm -hmm. yeah, I would, I, I didn't need anything else. I just had to go to my class every night. 
I met like these amazing ladies who are my dance fam. They're just like a ball of sunshine. And you know, the fact that we get to perform together and, you know, just spend all this time together, it's so much fun. And a lot of them, you know, being in LA, they're like, I found out that they're successful writers, successful artists, successful at what they do, but we all just dance together. Yeah. And we can all just come together and just enjoy. Just have some fun. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And everybody, you see them get better. Like everybody's growing and they're, you know, they come into the class and they don't know what they're doing, but they keep coming and they get better, especially the burlesque class. Like everybody, they're kind of like, what? We have to touch ourselves or what? We have to like shake our booty. And after a few classes, they are like going wild and hair with it. Yeah. It's because it's just so much fun. And I think it gave me more confidence to be sexier, to feel sexier, to own that sexiness. And, um, you know, because like, being in it from an evangelical school, um, like I was called a, like a vixen and a Jezebel and I'm like, okay, just, I'm be. that's because of how you looked or, well, um, also I was a little wild. I mean, I was a teen mom, but, uh-huh. um, it wasn't like I was really promiscuous, like with a lot of different boys. I just got pregnant by one, yeah. <laughs> by my high school sweetheart. But uh-huh. also, you know, I, I had shorter skirts. I, um, I was very open. Uh-huh. about certain things I had that I, I remember I told you guys in in one of the calls that like if you always have a dirty mind and you're giggling all the time oh yeah um it's not a bad thing <clears throat> and I that's exactly what I was I was like hee hee you know I was always like trying to make puns and jokes and and that was bad apparently so I got called a lot of things and I just kind of embraced it like a lot of my female heroines in my books they're they're vixens or they they have like um like a femme fatale kind of uh-huh. uh characteristic to them um well not all of them but some of them because I wanted I wanted that uh character in them where they're kind of like a hustler but they're um but they're still like you know that's a femme fatale is a little bit of a flaw for them so well I I feel like you know there's such double standards with men and women and it's you know for men it's like yeah go have as much sex as you want and for women oh you're a slut if you do that and yeah. it's so not fair, you know, it's, well, it's just not, it's not right. It's like, why can't we embrace our sexuality as much as the men are given permission to, you know, it's like, we have to learn how to give permission to ourselves to be able to do that in our relationships or however we show up in the world. Yeah. And my, my father was really chauvinistic. He was like, it's so different for men, men, uh, women. Like he, he totally believed that old school thing that you were saying, like men, it's okay for men to have more numbers. Yeah. more partners than women. Right. And I'm just now growing up and growing older. First off, I don't think the definition of slut is the, the number of partners you have. In fact, it's funny. Some, one of my coworkers, he just said, how many, how many men does a woman have to sleep with to be considered a slut? And I said that, cause if he said, what do you think? 10? I was like, well, that disqualifies me right now. <laughs> like, you know, and then I just, and then I just told him, I said, look, a slut is not the number of partners. A slut is someone who uh, takes another woman's man. Like to me, that's the definition of a slut. Like you're, uh-huh. you're sleeping with a married man or you're purposely taking them away. Like, or you're, or how about, or how about just using people? Yeah, exactly. Manipulative. Yeah. yeah. Or your side chicks. I know that's like starting to become glorified in the culture. I'm like, really? So, so that to me is, is, is the behavior. I don't think it has anything to do. 
And wouldn't you, wouldn't you say the same is for men as well? Yeah. Yeah. Like a guy who's always approaching women who's who are unavailable Uh um, or who are married and stuff. Yeah. I would say that's the same. Like if you're, if you're that kind of person who is, who is meddling in others' relationships and others' happiness, then yeah. Cause there's that line that you draw of, you know, taking someone who's not, who's not yours. Like you kind of got to let couples work things out themselves. And if well, they're not happy, they've got to discover that you can't like break up the, cause you're breaking up the whole family. And right. I, you know, um, my ex-husband cheated on me and it, that actually turned out to be a big blessing. But um, you know, I, I just think like, you know, we, we should have had that time to work things out and maybe we would have, maybe we would have had like a better relationship now, but mm-hmm. instead it just got really ugly. And then, you know, my father was notoriously unfaithful. I think both my parents actually have an open relationship now. They would probably kill me for saying this, but like the last I saw them, like that is essentially what they had. Like they both kind of were like, my, my father had so many affairs on my mother for so long and I think after a certain point, she just finally accepted it and just decided to have her own and be just happy. Say, yeah, and, now it's my turn. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. they just kind of, and they don't want a divorce because they have to go, they're kind of old school. And my father has a lot of assets, apparently, like not just his pension, but also properties and properties in Mexico. So he, they're just like, and my mom wants to be a kept woman. So they kind of just made that agreement with each other. Like, look, mm-hmm. we'll stay married. Mm-hmm. But we'll both see other people. So it's technically an open relationship. And then I never understood their, I never understood the complicated relationship they had. And then I just realized it's different for everybody. They set mm-hmm. different boundaries for their relationship and that's what they wanted to do. And for me, it was weird, but it wasn't weird until I got older and I was like, you know what? That's the way that they want to be happy. And they came to that agreement. Fine. Mm-hmm. But I was always so mad about my dad, um, you know, hurting my mom in this way. And mm-hmm. them not dealing with their, and my mom never denying it too, and never dealing right. with it. So I was always mad at them for not, and, and then of course they both take it out on me and my sister growing up, like they take out their anger and their, their frustrations out on us. And I, I wish that they had dealt with it. And if they wanted to grow and have an open relationship, have your open relationship, but don't like make the whole family miserable. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> so. Well, what, one of the things too, that I was thinking about you is like, how, how are you going to approach these new relationships from a place of trust? You know, I would imagine that because of your experiences that you've had, that it's probably hard for you to trust. Yeah. And it was my own immaturity. Like I have to own that. Um, I was so scared of intimacy again and being after being with an abusive ex-husband, um, having to trust someone again and then the man that I fell in love with back in 2005 he wanted to work out conflict with me he wanted to like he did a lot of things really well that I didn't see at the time and I pushed Mm -hmm. him away and it kills me later when I look back and know that like oh my god he was trying to reach out he was trying to communicate with me and I was the one who who was too immature granted he was 10 years older than me and I was only 23 Mm -hmm. and you know, you don't know what you don't know at 23. Right, you really don't. right. And maybe the age difference was too much for us. But now I, you know, I notice those things. Like I notice when a guy is telling me, oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, this and that. And he's really sweet talking to me. I'm like, and you're oh, like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But when a, a guy is trying to work out a conflict, you know, like, are we good? Or, you know, hey, let's talk about this. 
like that's to me is like a sign that like, okay, I can't just be guarded. I have to deal with this and we have to have a difficult conversation or just talk things through because if you're married, that's what you're going to do. <laughs> you know, that's what it is. Um, I would say also how to trust someone, you know, it's funny. Um, oh God, this happened just two days ago. This guy, he's a comedian out here in LA and I've run into him randomly like 10 years ago and then like another year ago and randomly I say in quotes (laughs) yeah well I mean random because it was just so weird and he didn't like and then he said like the same things to me like he was trying to hit on me and I'm like oh god and then I met him again on Monday like I ran into him again and I'm like this is weird and so finally he stopped hitting on me and he was a little bit sweeter and just like hey I'm doing a show would you come see me and he goes I would give you my number but you don't seem like you want it and then I just thought okay I'm probably being too much of a bitch like this time he wasn't sleazy this time he wasn't um yeah it it was just very weird and it's funny 10 years changed because I remember him being a little bit more like taller and like really handsome and I was like okay, we both gotten a little bit older here. Like we could both be like, we both had like more gray hairs. Uh, we both had like just different maturity levels. And I just thought, okay, I need to, I need to stop being so stop having my guard off. Yeah. Standoffish, and I felt yeah. bad. Like I was actually like a little bit bitchy towards him because I'm used to having to tell these guys, no, get me, get away from me. I have kids. Don't, don't give me a sleazy pickup line. But mm. this time he didn't. And this time he was just like, you know, very, he, he came across as more sincere. So, um, like being a normal human being. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Instead um, of having an agenda. Yeah. Instead of like, Oh, you have a boyfriend. Oh, well, what's your number and stuff like that. This time he gave me his information, you know, contact me if you want to. Um, so it, we'll see where that goes. I'm not sure, but much more respectful. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just like at this point I was ready and I was more open to it because last year, I think when I ran into him um, and these are at weird places like the grocery store or, you know, like it's not like it's at a club that I go to constantly or something. It was just like me walking around in my neighborhood and I'm like, oh my God, there's that comedian again. (laughs) Um, But it's like a weird time. And I just thought, you know what, let me be open to, to this. Let me not do the past, like, get away from me. Uh-huh. Let, this is a new chapter and this just happened again. Why don't I, why don't I be open to this? And, you know, he's been responsive since and I'm just like, oh God, at least it was. And I'm thinking, I don't want to go back to online dating. That was so awful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know how to really get back into dating without going through online dating anymore. So it's, and LA is a very weird place to date because every place is a weird place to date (laughs) that makes me feel so much better because I'm like why I was like what like is is because so many people play games no a lot of people play games and they don't show up authentically or respectfully you know it's like they have an agenda it's like swipe rights or left or whatever it is and you know so I I sort of understand this like hesitance of, you know, and I'm going to be doing the same thing, like getting back into this dating world. It's like, I want real. Yeah. I want somebody who has their shit together, basically, you know, like they might have issues and we can work through them, but this, you know, this, um, 
I, I want to be open. I want to find, you know, find a love, a companion, a partner who would support support me emotionally. I'm not physically, I can, I'm capable of doing that on my own, but you know, having somebody who is really nice to be around and who really, you know, honors you as a woman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Honors you as a woman. I want someone who, and and I started getting clear on what I wanted in a partner, like very clear. Like it's just like kind of when you're not clear in your job or when you're not clear on your ambitions in, in your career. And I said, okay, what do I want in a partner? And, and what, what know, do I, you want? <laughs> well, um, I, I do want someone who values me. I do want someone who um, we can mutually like talk openly to. And I, I definitely want someone who's fun. I need someone who needs to laugh and venturous yeah. ambitious. Uh-huh. You know, um, I don't want more kids. I make that very clear. I'm like, <laughs> we are done. I am done. I'm not starting over. Someone asked me, they said, are you, are you going to start over now? And I was like, oh, oh no, hell no. You're like, oh, yes, no. I'm starting over with my own life. Thank you yeah. very much. <laughs> I was like, I am done taking care of people. I am done. Yeah, I am done. I want to be that. taken care of for a change. Yeah. And I want it to be a mutual taking care of, right? Yes. Like I, I, the financial support is not what I'm looking for. Yeah. It would be nice to have two incomes for once. Yeah. But like, I, you know, I have a lot of crazy ideas and I like to just do things on a, on a whim. And <laughs> I hope someone is, finds that adventurous and not like, Oh my God, you're reckless and crazy. No, um, I, I take a I, lot of stupid risks. <laughs> no, but I think that's amazing to say, wow, how courageous of you. You know, because some people live their whole lives not taking any risks and not going out of the little box that they live in. And how incredible to have such a full life on your own and say, hey, want to join me on the next great adventure? Yeah, exactly. And I need someone with that kind of freedom to do that. Like if someone just worked a job, went home and was like, you know, I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm like, I'm probably not for you. You're probably going to think I'm crazy with all the stuff that I do and all these things I take on and you know, doing events, doing the podcast, doing writing. Um, and someone who's also very, um, it, when you date a writer, okay, you may or may not be in their stories. <laughs> and let me, and if you're in our story, that means you are an important person in our life. Like mm-hmm. I've written about um, London Real. I've written about Brian and Julian as characters um, just because they've been important to me these past two years. Um, uh-huh. And not like main love interest characters. They're usually side characters, but still like, they're in the story because they're important. And, um, and, and that's just an example. But, you know, you, you do have to write sex scenes. You have to write love tension. You have to pace out the relationship between the characters. Uh-huh. And um, I know partners who have read my stuff, they're like, is this about me? But the, and I'm like, stop. Okay. <laughs> stop. This is, you know, there are certain things about you, but this is the character is not you. Right. Right. This is not all about you every time. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, the character doesn't, you didn't live in this world and you don't do this as a character, but you, you may have some of their characteristics, but they are not you. Right. Okay. And same thing. And then they think that what goes on in my female character's head is what goes on in my head. I'm like, no, it's, it's partially me, but it's, it's not. And I don't think unless they are a writer that they understand that or an artist. Mm. Like, so I definitely try to gravitate more towards people who are 
creative, and the creative because, arts. Yeah. Yeah. Or I don't, I, I like people who are driven and focused. Like I do like athletes. I do like, you know, people who are kind of, or in, in that kind of um, world versus someone who's just a, you know, working a career job or something like that, because yeah. they do have to understand that creative space. And you need to be able to give me that creative space too, because, you know, if I were dating a writer and I have dated lots of writers, um, we're just weird people. We are. And um, <laughs> I would not mind if he is writing this sex scene with another female character. And if he's having these thoughts about her, um, when the character is not based on me or is not like me at all, I know that he's putting the story together and that's how the story is going to go. And it's going to change when he works with editors, you know, like it's, and, I, I, and I, maybe that night we'll have some really hot sex because of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, the great thing about writing sex is, oh my God, you get to let your imagination go wild. Like you get, you got to remember like the women who are reading this are having fantasies and you're trying to bring these fantasies to life. And I have a lot of crazy fantasies and I don't. I want to start to- reading your stuff. This thing now. <laughs> I don't have a lot of partners who are crazy enough to do this with me, you know. And um, like some of sometimes the younger guys will think it's kind of hot, uh-huh. but for the most part, you know, I haven't really found a partner who is giving enough. Oh, that's the other thing. Giving. You have to be an unselfish lover. That yeah. is the worst when you have someone who gets on top of you for two minutes and then you're Ugh. done and you're like, wait, no, uh-uh. that uh-uh. does not work. Um, I so- have told my boys and my daughter, you know, my boys, you better be the most generous person outside the bedroom and inside the bedroom. And my daughter, I say, if you're not with somebody who is generous, then don't bother. Yeah, exactly. Because they're not going to be generous in any aspect of your life, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and that's that's exactly, and that's what I felt was like really missing. I don't think I've really had, um, in a relationship, like a serious relationship, I Uh don't think I've ever had an unselfish lover. But when I travel and I have these crazy romantic rendezvous that are just Uh like really random, and I write about those too. They are wild. The it's usually like I guess it's because they know we're not going to see each other again, right? And it's just like so crazy and unexpected and just hot, really hot. And I'm like, why can't I have great sex like this in a relationship? What is wrong? Um, so I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I'd like to discover that together, you know, instead of just this. Yeah, me giving so much because I'm like, look, if you're with me, I do give you a lot, but come on. You, I, yeah. I expect, I expect to be taken care of. This yeah. This needs yeah. to be 50, 50 or a hundred, a hundred, not, <laughs> not me, not me giving 80 and you giving 20. Forget that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, <laughs> so have you, yeah. have you written an anthology of all these, you know, imaginary scenes? Uh, well, they're novels, they're novels. Um, they're a little bit romantic, but they're more on a coming of age side. Um, or like a family saga side. So, um, the ones that I have, um, that I'm working on, the one particular that I'm working on is a coming of age and it's the, the what makes it a romance is that the love story is central to the plot. Uh So that's kind of how it gets classified as romance, but there, there are a few, um, scenes where the sex is really rough, but that's part of what's going on with the character. Like she's like, she's got bite marks and bruises on her like you kind of wake up and you're like, what the fuck just happened? You know, like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. like how crazy did we get? Um, but she's young and she's exploring this with an older man. So that's, that's part of the story. Um, 
my novels I, and novels need um they need sex scenes that aren't awkward and that's what's really hard because if you put something that's too awkward they'll put the book down and they'll be like okay I don't know if I get this anymore or I don't know uh -huh. if it's too much so there's a really hard balance of um making it make sense and making it work uh -huh. I mean even just knowing like where a foot or a hand would go when right. you're in a certain position <laughs> like, so, so you're like we're going like this and writing your notes and <laughs> well I do stand up and I'm like what would happen if I did like is this possible because I'm just thinking like Wait, you're a, you're a dancer. You need to take that into consideration. <laughs> yeah, can my legs go that high? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I would, I would, yeah. I, writing, writing those, it's really, you have to make it believable. It has to make sense and it has to not be awkward. So that's the hard part about writing. And it has to be like tasteful too. Yeah. You know, like um, I remember reading a story in a workshop where a girl was having, the character was having anal sex. And I was like, okay, this is really awkward. Like it was a really awkwardly written scene and I'm like, uh -huh. okay. And, and now I get, and when I went to those workshops, I kind of get where, um, where that balance is because it uh -huh. still has to, it has to make it, like the reader want more of the characters and want, right. and want to know more what happens between the characters. And, um, it, it's part of the balance of writing, honestly. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it's like a fine line. Well, yeah. and it's, it's really a fine line when you're in the relationship too, you know, because you want to be open to exploring and feel safe. And at the same time, if it gets too much or too awkward, you also want to be able to say, you know what, this isn't working for me anymore. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not just a safety word, really. It's yeah. just a point where it's like, you know, I think we're losing something because it's usually, I feel like it's sometimes the connection. Right between us like I know I've lost feelings for partners where I'm like I don't I don't feel this way for you anymore yeah I, I don't want to be there. connected to you yeah yeah like and I, yeah and I even sense it between them like they even stop feeling that uh-huh yeah yeah Hmm. There's uh, there's a lot we could we need to we need to have like a few more of these sessions, Christine. <laughs> oh, I could talk about I could talk about sex for a long time. I could talk about a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, we could talk a lot. Um, <laughs> we're yeah. If we if we start any further, we're going to be going on for another hour or two. Or <laughs> I'm going to have to say you have to come back. I will. I will come back. We'll have another episode too. Uh, <laughs> you'll tell what? I Well, hopefully I have a more trips coming up where I'll have either more romantic adventures or we'll see where this goes with the comedian. Who knows? Or whatever <laughs> new adventures. I, I actually am going to track like single mom life after kids are gone. Like uh. I'm going to write about, I definitely feel like, compelled to write a lot about this because there's just so many mixed feelings and yeah. so much um confusion and I there's so many different things I could do crying um, and celebrating yeah it is because it's like wow I can do whatever I want I'm like oh my god I don't have to worry about my kids being home if I want to bring someone over well actually right. I do my daughter comes your daughter to work late, but you know um like I can travel and not have to worry about do they have enough food do they have this I'm like look here's some money go buy your own groceries take care of the dogs See you know <laughs> like I, later bye you know <laughs> Like I can go away for two months at a time, which I 
if it weren't for my son's expensive, outrageous college tuition payments, I probably would go away for maybe even longer. Mm. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, last year I took a big eat, pray, love trip and I went to Latin America and I just, and I was, I even put like out a post. I'm like, where should I go? Give me some places all around the world that I should you go. Went, you went to Buenos Aires, which we could have a huge <laughs> conversation about that because you know, I studied tango down there for the last five oh, years. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. I wanted to go into Mugona so bad. And I was just so chicken because it was like, I was trying to take like the tango classes and I was trying to find a place to go. Yeah, you, you said that uh, you went to the La Viruta, which is basically, Virtuta, yeah. like, which is basically like the meat market of tango. It felt like it. It felt like being in a, like a bad wedding reception yeah. or something. Yeah. I was like, okay, why did they tell me to go here? <laughs> because yeah. it's just because it's classic. I mean, it's just classic milonga, you know, milonguero because it's the place to see and also to be seen. So really? Yeah. It felt like a dive bar. It, 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 it is. But at the end of the night, all of the professionals go there to just relax and dance. So you, ah. see, you see the best dancers there like at three in the morning till six in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but man. tango is a very, very tricky dance. But we, yeah. It was very different. When I, like my mother was a ballroom dancer and mm-hmm. um, like seeing... She, I don't think she ever did tango, but from what I, you know, like any dancer knows that slow and controlled is so much harder yeah. um, than doing something fast paced. And that's kind of the beauty of tango. And it's also, you know, people are, you know, when you're trying to learn it and you're learning with a bunch of beginners, they're looking at their feet and right. they're like, stop looking at your feet. You know, right. like you as a dancer know not to do that or stop like, you know, holding your elbow up and doing all these things. You're like, just calm your body, relax your shoulders. No, it doesn't happen when you go to a place like that because there's just too many beginners. Yeah. No, it, even, even, it, even with more, uh, you know, intermediate or advanced dancers, it's really tricky. That was, that's my first partner dance, you know, that I've learned how to do. And I learned so many lessons about stand on my own axis by myself, you yeah. know, and, you know, take care of my own body, be aware of my own body. And it really like following for me was very hard because I'm used to just dancing on my own, you know, I mean, with a group, but in my own body and having to, to sort of surrender, it's really surrender, like surrender yeah. and, and trusting your partner that you don't even know, you know, yeah. but, but having this, this was for me a real part of my opening my heart again, just like I can just show up and be held by a man and in general know that he's going to take pretty good care of me for eight minutes or however long that we're, you know, together on the dance floor. And if he doesn't, then I say, you know, bye. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. I think that's one thing that's so beautiful about dance is that, um, you know, like you said, just trusting your partner. And then it's not just like letting them lead you. You have to adapt because when right. they shift their weight awkwardly, you kind of have to shift your weight. Right. And that is another requirement is that please, if I could just have a partner in life, in, life. in a relationship, please just dance with me at a wedding. That's all I ask. Like if there's just one thing that would make me happy, it's not having to sit out on the sidelines. Yeah. Because you don't want to dance and you won't let me dance with someone else. My ex-husband was very much that way. Um, and yeah. And I was like, look, I'm Latino. We salsa, we party, we eat a lot yeah. and we dance. Okay. Yeah. So that's like, so let me be who I am, please. Yeah. And thank you. 
Yeah, exactly. I was like, if you're not going to dance with me, I'm going to find someone else. It's nothing against you, but it's just like my feet are tapping and I want to move. Yeah. Like you better spin me around or I'm going to go find a partner. So it's, it's just that that's like the one thing I'm like, please just always dance with me. I love it. Just having them hold you close, having them kiss your neck, having them yeah. their arms around you. Like it's very intimate. I don't see why guys don't like doing it. I'm like, <laughs> I know I, I told, I thought that was the other thing I told my boys. I was like, if you dance, you'll be the most popular guy in the club. <laughs> yeah. All the girls will want to be with you. Exactly. Like they want to turn to, like they want to get up and move. And I told um, my son, I was like, you know, he, um, one of his friends was from, uh, he was from Mexico as well. And he was showing him how to salsa the men's part, because I don't know like the male part really right. well, right. but it's like, they were at a youth group sleepover and they were showing the guys this. And my son started listening to Spanish music and he's like, yeah, mom, I want to do it. I was like, that's my boy. Oh my God. I love it. I was like, you have to learn. Like you really have to learn because there's going to be weddings. There's going to be like all sorts yeah. of events. And, um, you don't want to always be on the sidelines. You want to be part of the party. You want to have fun. Yeah. So yeah. And you, honestly, you can get up from a boring conversation yeah. <laughs> at a table and just get yeah. up. And <laughs> well, and it's just so fun. I mean, you know, in all cultures, dance and music is so important. And for yeah. some reason here in the more Western world, it's like, I don't know, it's not as accepted. But that's why I love that's why I love the Latino culture, you know, because they do love to dance and love to party. And, you know, it's just like, just move your body. It doesn't matter how you move it. You know, it doesn't matter if you look good. It's just like, just be in the moment, have fun, yeah. it, just express and just, you know, forget about everything else that's going on around you. Yeah. And, and um, I know for us Latino culture, it's not considered feminine if you dance. Right. In fact, like the, the guys that actually move their hips really well there it's even if it seems like a desirable little, yeah exactly it's actually really hot and sexy i'm like it's wow, like oh have God. you seen kizomba have you yeah. seen zook have yeah. you seen romba i mean all of these dances are so sexy and the guys who dance those they get the girls they get yeah, the women exactly. they would have me like just like <laughs> I, i'm like okay yeah that would make me that would that would do it for me so <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I'm on a mission to find a guy that can dance too. <laughs> I know. It's just every time I go to places where people dance, uh, if the guy isn't taken up by a partner, it's um, or you always have to end up dancing with another girl or yeah. something like that. Like at yeah, La Fertura, it was that way. Like yeah. you have to you have to learn the both parts. I'm like, right. Uh, uh, all right. But yeah. oh well, I'll find <laughs> I'll find my dancing partner. Hopefully, we'll soon. find our dancing partner in it. And if not, then we have our dance ourselves to dance with yeah exactly <laughs> and at the studio <laughs> yeah exactly I have my dance fam we're not going anywhere we'll always yeah. be we'll always dance exactly so. all right so uh you're you're coming back for sure <laughs> <laughs> yes I definitely um, will but the, the last question that that I like to ask my guests is what how do you define real love oh wow um I'd say, uh, God, there's, there's so many things. I mean, yeah. the love between your, your kids and anything you do for them. And then there's love with a partner, um, understanding, sacrifice, uh, integrity. Uh, I would say like understanding you've always got to, if, if you love someone, you're going to have that difficult conversation and you're going to tell them, honestly, you're not going to hide things from them. Um, you sacrifice like, 
you know, as a mom, we sacrifice, God, we sacrifice so, so much, much, right? So, so much. much. When your kids need something, you have to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for integrity, like, I, I think you have to be that good character if you want to have a partner who has good character as well. I think that has to be both ways. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it does no good to have someone who's like lying and behind your back all the time. So I'd say always keeping integrity mm-hmm. strong is something that I would I would say. And then passion, like you've got to always have passion for each other. Like I'm a really passionate person. Even people tell me that I date, they're like, wow, you're a passionate kid. Or wow, you're very passionate. I'm like, I am. I have a lot of passion to give. Yes. Um, and aren't you so lucky to be with me? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know what? Sometimes I feel like it's too much, you know, like it, I feel like uh, I almost no. have too much of it don't, no, or don't I don't ever, have the right partner. Ever, no, don't ever <laughs> think that because the partner who embraces you fully it's going to go, Oh my God, I love that about you. I'm so lucky, you know, really. Yeah. yeah. I, I haven't heard that yet. So hopefully I will find that now in these years, but, um, but yeah, I'd say passion, understanding, integrity, and then, you know, um, longevity. I think love is something that lasts through time. Like you're willing to adapt to each other. You're willing to, you know, always be able to, to talk things out and to, you know, through hard times and always be able to stick together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those would be, those would be real love. Love is something, you know, even when I try to capture it in my stories, um, you know, I always capture something that's very bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Usually a lot of the loves don't, don't last. Um, and that's just because I'm making the plot. And it's been really hard for me to define something in the characters other than just like kind of like what they're feeling and um like the aching and the longing and the tension mm-hmm. for their partner um but it's really like you know loving themselves as well mm-hmm. so wow um i write about love all the time i i don't it's one of the hardest things i feel that there is to to define i think it's hard to keep it healthy too to not to a point where it's toxic or possessive Mm-hmm. or something that um, you're not nurturing anymore you're actually just overprotective I I'm curious to see how people find the right balance in mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I'm you know really curious because even as parents we try not to be overprotective and right <laughs> you know we have to be nurturing and um I think, I think it comes down, I think it comes, always comes back to what you were trying to teach your kids about being kind. You know, if you're always kind and considerate with your partner and that your partner shows you the same thing, then you can have these open and honest conversations and, and help navigate the ways that you ebb and flow in your relationship, you know, because sometimes you want to feel more safe and secure. Sometimes you want to feel more free and adventurous. And so, you know, where are you in that spectrum and how do you navigate it? It's not like, you know, these are problems to be solved, but um, paradoxes to be managed. Esther Perel, she's a pretty famous psychotherapist. That's one of her quotes. You know, these are not problems to be solved. These are paradoxes to be managed. And so how do you come taking responsibility for yourself and your own well-being and being able to, to help somebody else do the same. Yeah. And I, I definitely know that not loving myself and I actually, um, that was probably why I didn't 
have good relationships for so long mm-hmm. was I just I hated I hated who I was growing up. In fact, it was only till a few years ago where I started really loving myself. I just I hated that I was stuck with this lot in life. Like I hated that I had to go through all these hard things that a lot of people, like normal people in life, didn't have to go through. Yeah, you know, like they didn't have crazy families. They didn't have. Um, you know, like my friends didn't have kids young. I had a kid young, you know, like it was just, I, I hated that. I felt like I got stuck with bad cards and really I didn't, I just wasn't thankful and I just didn't have the right mindset. Yeah. And it wasn't until I, all that shifted for me that I was like, Oh, I'm really lucky. And I'm not a bad parent. I'm actually a pretty decent parent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not a, you know, and I'm, wow, what a ama- what an amazing woman that I've become, despite where I came from and despite the experiences that I've had. Yeah, and and one of the things that I wrote, um, one of the lines from my book is um, the character says she says, "It never we, it never happens the way we think it does. The way we grow into women, you know, mm-hmm. it's we're living in shitty apartments where you know we're working these awful jobs. We're dealing with things like harassment. We're dealing with things like you know." Um, we're running and jumping big hurdles and we think that we're just going to grow up to be these like, like it's just going to happen. We're just going to mature into strong women when really we don't, we, we have to jump a lot of hurdles to get to becoming that leader and get to becoming that person. And it's never the way we think it never happens the way we think it does. Um, For me, motherhood was part of it and raising the kids and also dealing with horrible things like, you know, being homeless and lost and, harassment and mm-hmm. um, all these other hurdles that I hope women don't have to go through 10 years from now, you mm-hmm. know, although I'm sad to say nothing's changed much in 20 years, but sorry, ladies, sorry, next generation. We tried, we keep trying. We keep um, trying. We, I think, I think it's shifting. I think the paradigm is shifting. I hope so. Because I, I even told my daughter, like I, I wrote something, a blog about a year ago. And I was like, I am so sorry that things just kept moving backwards and we, you know, we tried, we fought, we, we've done a lot of things, but it's, it's not going to be an easy fight. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, hopefully by our lessons on the way we grow into women and how we write about it and how how Mm -hmm. we express those things, Mm -hmm. help the younger generations like our daughters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My daughter all is already very strong and independent and she's only 16 you know, and she, she's like, yeah, a lot of people think I'm a B word because I speak my mind and I'm direct. And I say the things that everybody else is thinking, but I say them out loud. You know, I love your daughter. She, she would do well on my team. She would do well. Yeah. And you know what, when I look for female, strong females to be on a team or to, to hire and work with, um, I don't care. I don't care what your credentials are. I don't care what you've done in the past. Yeah. Um, if you can't, um, first off, if, if you don't, if you don't ask uh, questions, if you're just like, Oh no, I got it. Or, Oh, I'll, I'll learn it. That's a red flag to me. If you can't work well with the team, if you don't have a good attitude, I don't want forget you. it. Yeah, I don't want it. you. Yeah. Um, you know, I even tell people up front when I bring them on, I don't tolerate bullying, cheating, bad sportsmanship or gossip. If that, if I see that you're done, like yeah. I will not ask you back or I will kill your contract. Good. And their faces are like <laughs> big eyes. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like I'm not tolerating yeah. any of it. Yeah. And um, like, I just, I just let them know. Um, I don't, if I ask someone to do something difficult, I don't expect an excuse. Like if, if you can't do the job, tell me why and what skills you need. And that's on me. 
right? Uh -huh. But don't give me an excuse as to why you can't do it. Um, so I'm very, um, and I'm very open about that's the kind of people I want. I want to, I want to see that you can handle a difficult situation. I want to see that you can handle people really well. And um, you know, I've had when someone gives me flattery right up front, that's usually like, okay, you're going to try to flatter your way. A, bit, out of a big, a big BS flag. <laughs> Big BS flag. And I see, you know, I, especially um, working with celebrities and working in like production and stuff, there's flattery. You, you see so much of it. Yeah. And you know that the people at the top really appreciate when you're honest with when them. When you're honest and authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Because they get flattery all day long. And when you could stop and be like, hey, this, I'm going to call BS on this. And hey, like when you really talk to them honestly, they will appreciate you so much. And if I bring on someone who doesn't ask que or question things that I do in a good, healthy way, because I'm like, why, why do we do it this way? Okay, let me think about it. If you're just kind of kissing up to me and then you're complaining, like, oh, no, you're done. Mm -hmm. You're gone. I don't want you. Mm -hmm. I don't want mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. And I've had to let some people go and some people that people really loved and people thought like, oh, my God, they could never do any wrong. I'm like, oh, trust me. When you think someone could never do anything wrong, they're usually the ones that need to go. Yeah. And um, I had to, I had to let some of them go. And, you know, unfortunately, that's just kind of how it goes. And you have to be okay with, you're not a bad person when you have to make those decisions. Yeah. Because, because you're protecting the integrity of the team. Exactly. I know you have that, to do that versus one person. Yeah. And I, I, like I said, I want to build the strongest team I can, not necessarily so we can hit numbers and hit goals and, or have more money, but the fact that I want to develop strong women, I want to develop strong people. And if I'm having a high turnover, then something's wrong with me and my team. Mm -hmm. If I'm, if people are leading my team and they're not successful, like if they're ready to go and they're not successful later in their next venture, then I probably didn't give them something. Mm -hmm. I didn't probably give them something worth it. Now, when I know that they're, they just don't have it in them. Okay. Like right. if that's just their personality and they're not willing to work right. hard or they're just trying to get fame, then I need to not be so hard on myself. But there are times when I'm like, did I, did I give this person what they came for? Did I contribute to their well-being? Um, and that's the hard part, you know, and that's what I think is real love also is like when you are doing the right thing because you know, it's the right thing. It's like mm -hmm. parenting. Like we, when you want to do the right thing, you're more confused, you know, <laughs> that's why parenting is so hard and relationships too. And with the team. And if I wanted to feed my ego, the decisions would be easy. But yeah. I, I don't. The decisions are hard because I'm like, okay, detach yourself. What's right? What's right? Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's never an easy decision. Yeah. Yeah. You you are an incredible woman, Christina. Thank you. I really, I, I don't know if you recognize your amazingness. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I like, I, 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 I'm not trying to be annoyingly humble bragging or whatever, but I, I honestly think like, God, there's so much to do or, Oh my goodness. Oh, this, this and that, you know, like I'm always thinking about what's ahead. I never stop and realize anything, <laughs> but no, you know what? I, I, I think sometimes for you to look back and go, shit, look at how far I've come. Oh my God. I'm amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, when my son went to college, I did kind of feel that like, wow, this happened. We made, we made it happen. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I only feel amazing when I see you and all the team mm -hmm. and all the students, like when you guys are doing something that you love and you have your happy dances and your happy moments and <laughs> you guys are like, I did it. Yay. I'm on iTunes or I did, I did this. I'm like, okay, it was worth 
all the messages and all the chasing and preparing all for all the calls yeah. and everything that I do. Like when I see all of you happy and then a year from now, you guys are like, you know, on other podcasts and you have businesses or they're doing speaking events like that. That is when I'm like, okay, I, you know, I, I, I got them, I got them to the next point they needed. And that's, that's where I feel like, that's where I feel the best. It's when yeah. you lift other people up. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I know that that's, I saw your interview with Brian and it was like, you know, I, I want, I want to help people. This is why I'm doing this. And if, yeah. you know, I don't know who listens, I haven't counted my listeners or, or anything like that, but it's like, I know that I am witnessing you. You know, I am hearing your story and I am supporting you and helping you feel loved and accepted and understood. And, you know, this is, this is what I'm here to do. This is why I'm doing this podcast. And to just know that other people will learn from your experiences. Oh my God, look at what she went through. Oh my gosh, look at where she is now. Wow. What an inspiration. Like, this is what I'm here to share you know, how people have overcome their struggles and really come out to this place of, wow, I, I, I created this amazing life for myself and I'm just getting started. Exactly. <laughs> Starting over, right? <laughs> I, I have, have a lot more adventures after. to have. <laughs> so many more, so many more crazy adventures. Exactly. <laughs> So how can people get a hold of your journal? How can people get a hold of you, your work? I am Savvy Creative Christina. That is Christina with a C-H. And you can, uh, that's my Instagram handle. You can follow me on Instagram and you can check out my website, SavvyCreativeChristina.com. And uh, you can find all the links, um, whether through Instagram or on the site for the Changemakers Collective and for the Be Brilliant Journal. The journal is such a passion project for me. I was like, I do a gratitude practice every morning. I'm a compulsive planner, like almost too much. And I, I need a journal. Like I have to have a journal. Like I said, they're sacred. As a writer, yeah. Yeah. And I just, I had three different notebooks and I just said like, why can't I have one notebook that has everything, everything in, it? in it? And I just said, okay, nobody makes one that I really like. So I'm going to create one myself. That's really simple. That has some good goal setting exercises and productivity hacks that aren't that aren't lame, like these to-do lists that aren't like overbearing. In fact, yeah. it's minimalizing it. So I, it helps me and it's helped some women that I've worked with and it's helped them as well. And just not only start your day positively, but it helps you build momentum as well because every day you're kind of stepping and you're building your network. You're doing all these things that I feel are the real steps that are the result producing activities. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring that to life. And if you want one, you can definitely either get it through my Instagram or you can get it through my website and plan your day, plan positive days, you know, plan positive days and get stuff done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you are a woman who gets stuff done for sure. I, I have to, I have to, I feel guilty if I don't, or yeah. I just, I don't feel me if I'm not getting something meaningful done, yeah. writing, dancing, yeah. uh, my students, all that stuff. Yeah. It's really beautiful. And I have been so honored and this has been such a fun conversation anyway. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It was fun. It was fun. I definitely laughed a lot. And uh, yeah, ladies, we can talk about more uh, sexiness 
soon too. <laughs> okay, good. Um, all right. So for my listeners, of course, if you liked what you heard today, please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast and share with all of your friends all over the world. And if you would like support in finding more connection, fulfillment, authenticity um, in your relationships, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Awakening with Dawn. And you can send me a message and I'd be honored to have a chat with you and figure out how I can um, help you find and create more real love in your life. And Christina, you're really a testament to what I say at the end of every podcast that the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself so that you can be the kind of partner that you want to have. So thank you so much for sharing this time with me. I really, really appreciate it. And you are for sure welcome back anytime. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) All right. Thanks listeners. Uh, Remember every day, wake up to real love. Take care. See you next time. Bye.